Yo, it's time for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Great journeys always reveal one thing. The strength you never knew you had before you left. There's a snap. It's a good one. Thomas puts it in the air. It's gone. It's gone. The Bears are in the playoffs. The Bears are in the playoffs. We're going to get physical. We're going to get ugly right now. Trubisky, play action. To the end zone. Touchdown, Bears. Rotate on three. One, two, three. Hester under it. Backs up to his 16. Runs right now. 45-40. The putter to beat. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. Touchdown, It is time to bear down right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Every night we give you something in the NFL, something Chicago Bears. It could be information. It could be guests. Tonight, you take a look at the NFC North. We know what the Bears are about. Where's the kicker, right? Well, what's going on in the NFC North? We start off first with the Lions. Play clock at two. Matthews got it. Glitch comes. They pick it up. Stafford throws. It is end zone. Caught. Oh, baby, what a catch. Kenny Galladay, you're a freak. What a catch. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. Oh, he laid out the hard that went in. How big is that? Michael Rothstein from ESPN.com. Michael, as always, I appreciate your time. How injured was Matt Stafford last season? You know, I've seen the reports as well. I don't know if it's exactly clear. It was obvious he was injured. He was on the injury report. You could see it in his play. But I I can't say with any sort of certainty or anything I'd want to put my name on how injured he really was. I just know what I saw with my eyes, and it was a quarterback that – he looked better in Week 17, but it was a quarterback that clearly was was in pain at the end of the year and, and really through a good portion of the year. Uh, but obviously, I know you're asking about the back situation at the end of the year, and uh, that that's the best I could do for you as far I can't say with any definitive, like, oh, it was this or it was that, because I don't think really anyone outside of Matthew Stafford and some people with the Lions and probably – some of his family members really know he uh, he keeps everything pretty close to the best with that. Yeah, I, I trust your coverage with that. That's why I started off there because I saw the report and I said, well, let me ask Michael because I don't know if that's what's true and what's half truth. You know, if he kept, but I do know one thing that clearly toward the end of the season he didn't look like himself, and there was seemingly some discomfort. Uh, I'm wondering, do the Lions or Stafford look at that and say that's maybe the reason why the Lions underachieved? I mean, I don't think that's why the Lions underachieved last year. Uh, and if the Lions try to to paint it like that, then they are doing themselves a disservice. And I've never gotten the impression that that was ha- why they looked at it and said, man, 6'10", because Matthew Stafford was hurt at the end of the year when the whole year was not consistent. They they won two games in a row once last year, and, and technically it wasn't two weeks in a row. They didn't win on back-to-back weeks all season long because the one time they won two in a row was a bye in the middle of that. So they had issues from really before the season even started, and then you saw in week one what they were dealing with, and it never got more consistent from there. So to blame Matthew Stafford's injury or myriad injuries throughout the year because he was banged up a good portion of it as the reason why the Lions struggled is if the Lions are doing that, that's a huge mistake because their problems were they couldn't get a great pass rush, there was no consistency, and there were just mistakes everywhere all across the board. When they were good, they looked like a pretty good team, but when they were bad especially early in the year, it got ugly. Michael, is there anything in the draft um, that you see that could really pay dividends for the Lions right away? Because clearly, uh, with your your roster, you you believe that you have the right players, but you'd like to have something added from the draft that could help you to give you some production. Is there anything that you see in the draft that can help the Lions here, one of their picks early? I think they're hoping T.J. Hawkinson, their their first-round pick at number eight, will help them right away. I don't expect him to be a 1,000-yard receiver or anything like that. They also brought in Jesse James in free agency, so they seem to be 
wanting to work him in somewhat slowly. How they handled him in the spring was different than the other first-round picks in the Bob Quinn era as general manager. Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow, Jared Davis, they were from day one at their position with the number one unit. T.J. Hawkinson didn't have that. He He worked in a lot with Jesse James, with the now since twice released Michael Roberts. He was cut from the Lions after they tried to trade him to the Patriots and he failed a physical and he got released today with a failed physical from Green Bay. So they were working him in with a lot of guys. And I don't know if that's because Daryl Bevel's running a new offense, so they need to get everybody up to speed and it's a little bit of a different situation, or if it's because they're trying to maybe handle him a little bit differently because we all know tight end is one of the hardest positions to adjust to when you're going into the pros. But they should expect something from him as a rookie. If they get 500 to 600 yards, 40 catches, four to six touchdowns, that's a really good rookie year for him. And and is in line with a lot of the top-end tight ends, how they performed as rookies as well, because very rare is the tight end that has a great rookie year. I think where they could possibly see early on a big dividend is in their second-round pick, who a lot of people, myself included, I'll admit it, thought it was a big reach at the time, in Jelani Tavai, who's a linebacker out of Hawaii. He got to run with the first team in the spring, and while that's not a big harbinger for maybe what's to come because there's no pads on or anything like that, that they put him in there tells me they at least expect him to be some sort of rotational player this fall and get something out of him. And if he can be kind of a run stopper and a thumper a little bit, they can move Jared Davis around, maybe allow Jared Davis to pass rush a little bit more, which he was doing towards the end of the year and was effective at it. And that, even if he becomes more of a space eater as a rookie than an impact player, that could really pay dividends because of what he's able to do and what they're able to do with other pieces in the defense. Michael, lastly, uh, in a very competitive NFC North, how do the Lions measure success in 2019? I mean, publicly, they're going to say like every other team, which is they want to win the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And they're probably not going to move off of that. That said, I think if they can show true tangible progress, make the playoffs, have a shot at winning what looks like it could be a very difficult division, that's success. To me, their biggest concern has to be that they don't have a repeat of last year because if they're 6-10, and 5-11, and 4-12, and I think everybody has reason to be concerned within the Lions organization about the future of the franchise and their own futures. If you can finish 8-8, and 9-7, 10-6, get to the playoffs, maybe win a game, which the Lions haven't done since the 1991 season, that's a huge success and something to build on with a nucleus that is getting younger for the future, and then you can kind of point to that and say, okay, Matt Patricia's system is working, and going into year three, they can build more around that, and it will only get better. So to me, that will be real success this year. They might not say that, but in reality, to me, the success for them in 2019 would be be competitive, maybe get to the playoffs. If you get to the playoffs, win a playoff game, but moreover than anything else, build for the future, but have a good enough record where that future will be something that you're a part of. You know, Patricia's just missing out on, on a really good thing. He should be selling Patricia's pencils. I think that would be a great market for him in Detroit. I mean, why, why not a pencil with a laminated sheet, right? I mean, we've all got side gigs, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, Patricia's pencils, I think, would be a hit at Ford Field. I don't know about you. I think that that's, that's good for him. I mean, it's it's there all the time, at, at least in football <laughs> settings. It has to be fair. The pencil has gone away from time to time. There mm-hmm. was no pencil at the combine. I don't remember if there was a pencil at the owners' meeting. There have been other times that the pencil has not necessarily been there, which is a, a change from last year where the pencil was always there. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's his thing. It's if it's something that makes you feel comfortable, why not do it? Like I, I think people who who rag on that, like I don't know, man, like. My thing is this, if it's something that makes you comfortable in a high-pressure situation, if it's something you've always done, just, who? so what? Like, so he likes yeah. the pencil in his ear. Let it be. <laughs> it's funny to me. Michael Rothstein, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us a Lions report. Hey, no problem. Anytime. Rodgers in the shotgun. Williams to his left. Here's the snap. 
Rodgers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end zone. Devontae touchdown and a dagger. They beat Morris Claiborne to the back line of the end zone and the Packers have won it. 44-38. Now it's time to talk about the Green Bay Packers with the Super Bowl champion. And also talk show host for WSSP in Milwaukee, it's Leroy Butler. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000 and ESPN app as we go around the NFC North. Leroy, as always, I appreciate it. What do you think is best for Matt LaFleur, the new head coach for the Green Bay Packers, trying to deal with a veteran quarterback like Aaron Rodgers? Well, I, that's a good question. I think people need to know a part of it. we got to go back. The interview process was something that was different. You hadn't seen it in, what, 13 years or so. So with this kind of uh, surge, you kind of understood where the Packers were coming from. They wanted a young coach, and they kept using that word innovative. I think I don't think anybody in the league know what that means, to be honest with you. It's just a <laughs> word that people latched on to it because it's the Sean McVay types. But to me you got to go back to what you want in your team. You want discipline. You want uh, to get back to the basics and the fundamentals. Matt LaFleur met all of those boxes. So he's really has a mentality of an old-school type coach, but at the same time he's a young guy because he's detail-oriented. I mean, he wants things done a separate uh, way, and I love that. With him, and I would think that would challenge anybody in that locker room in Green Bay. So, as of lately, it's been stories coming out that maybe Aaron Rodgers wanted to be want to audible more. Or he wanted to do more stuff at the line, and he wanted to you know have a little bit more control. But with Matt Lafleur's system, is a little bit different. You remember the old system with the West Coast style offense with. You know, Bill Walsh would call a play, Montana would see something, he'd audible, but it was still in the confines of the offense. Mm -hmm. They have to work through that process right now because you do want to give him, Aaron, some leeway, but at the same time you want the structure to stay intact. So you have to learn your roster, learn what you're good at, know what went wrong, and you have to keep moving forward. And I think that's a good thing that LaFleur has done so far. How did Donald Driver get that Wisconsin commercial? Do you see this travel Wisconsin commercial? Have you see, you know, Jordan Nelson. Jordan Nelson used to do it for a while, and it was fun. And yeah, yeah I see Donald doing it, and they look like they're having a lot of fun because a lot of people look at Wisconsin. And say, Wait a minute, I don't see all this fun. So it's a great <laughs> way to promote the state. It's phenomenal. I just don't know why Leroy Butler's out of that commercial. There he is in the farm. He's everywhere. Donald Driver with the big smile. I'm like, where's Butler? Shouldn't he be on that commercial? He's the man. Yeah, you are spot on. I actually live here now. Uh, I've moved here from Florida, played one team. I mean, it would be unbelievable to do something like that. But maybe, you know what? Uh, maybe Donald was a little bit more accessible. And maybe he had a bigger name. Maybe he was going into the Hall of Fame soon. <laughs> um, maybe that kind of thing people just don't think about. So, <laughs> of course, it'll be funny. <laughs> All right. So, so you know that everyone, especially from the jump, when the season starts with the Packers and Bears, everyone yeah. will hold up the Bears and Packers rosters and see who's going to be better. So, when you look at the yeah. Packers, how close? Is that personnel to the Bears? Well, Khalil Mack, to me, separates them. Uh, he's a playmaker. He makes your team better. He puts your team in a position that, although you lost your coordinator, you may not even understand that you may not even need him. <laughs> I mean, he's just that good. I mean, they didn't have a draft for a reason. They didn't have a draft because they put a lot into Khalil Mack. With that being said, you have to look at defense, offense, special teams, but you have to look at the quarterbacks. And if you are in a Trubisky camp, you're going to say, hey, listen, you know, I beat Aaron once, he beat me once on both of our on our home turf. So and you would think, that, you know, them not having Jordan Howard, maybe they're not going to run the ball anymore. They're going to spread it out with Cohen. So they're going to try to get Trubisky out on the perimeter. 
you know, their head coach has been doing it for a minute. He's been in the playoffs, so they would have the advantage. I don't think anybody looking at it objectively would not say that the Bears, you know, roster is probably better. It's probably better than the Green Bay Packers, but we've always seen that, you know, Golden State's roster was probably better than Toronto, but Toronto still won the game. Mm-hmm. That's why I never – Hood, I never understood how players are so sensitive when they read or hear things about them not winning when they determine who wins the game. I just never got my head around that. It's strange. So I, I want to know about free agency. You know, for a long time, you and I have talked about how the Packers continue to resign their own and cult. And, and the reason why that. It, I think that happened in the um, McCarthy era and the Ted Thompson era. It just made sense because any time that you were resigning your own players, uh, Packers seemed to always get the right players, always in the playoffs, always in the mix. Under Gutenkunst, though, I want to know your thoughts about Gutenkunst because what he did in free agency by signing a couple of pass rushers and uh, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, having his safety, Adrian Amos from the Bears. What do you think about their offseason, the Packers? Well, it was different. I mean, the Ted Thompson rule would be you wouldn't spend a lot in free agency, and you're you're correct. He would spend that money on extending Randall Cobb, extending Matthews. Nick Perry would still be on the team. Well, people didn't want that. So now they went out and they wanted to upgrade the defense, which the defense was pretty good. They, they brought back the defensive coordinator, Pettit, and they said, we're going to try to stop people. We think we can score. We need to stop people, and we need to get after the quarterback. So I think for the most part, then they went out and got Turner, offensive lineman. So they said they uh, draft up to say, you know what, we really don't need to hit. We could take a project at 12 if you want with Gary. And let's see see what he got in the tank. He wasn't real productive, but we're not in no hurry to get him out on the field because we have the Smith brothers who can get after the quarterback. Now, here's the thing. When you're reading a lot of stuff about the Packers and you see the defense is ahead of the offense and the coaches are being upset, that's always been the theme. If the defense is winning, it's a bad practice. But the offense is putting up big numbers. Oh, it's a great practice. So that's just the way it is. The Packers are trying to build from the defense wins championship model. And that's no knock on Aaron Rodgers. It's just that you have to have a defense to stop people. And if you can do that, it takes pressure off of Aaron Rodgers. So with that being said, they're not done. Absolutely not. You know, you will see in July and the next, maybe early August, signing one-year deals to uh, veterans to kind of go for it. You know, the, People are not drafting development anymore. Those days are long gone. It's about drafting for now and winning now. The fan base don't want to hear anything about winning five years from now. Can you get into the playoffs next year and the year after that? If not, your coach is going to get fired. Your GM is going to get fired. They're going to bring people in here to win at this point. So Guna Kunst is in a position that he can actually do both because the guy he was pretty much learning from was this Ted Thompson system of you got to be a free agent, but look at your roster first, then go out. That's why the Amos signing caught people by surprise. They thought they were going to get the Earl Thomases. No, we're going to draft a. We're going to go out and sign a guy that we play against twice, and then we know all about him. That's just like drafting and signing your guys within when you sign in the division. Well, I'm looking forward to the season because I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, um, it's going to be um, wide open. I know people have their favorites, Leroy, but this is why they line up. This is going to be really fun, and it's going to be. And I'm wondering where you have the Vikings in the division because you, we see what the Bears and the Packers are doing. What about the Vikings? I thought that they're going to be a quarterback away from getting it done to get into the Super Bowl. That was not the case with Kirk Cousins last year. The Vikings, to me, are the most overhyped, underachieving teams in history. If you look at the the personnel they have on offense and defense, it's an all-star team, but it just can't get out of themselves' way. It just can't. I mean, something is holding this team back from being a great team, and they thought they were one quarterback away with all of the offensive personnel. But for some reason, Chicago and the Packers have been competitive with these guys. They should have won a division the last three years in a row. They should have. But for some reason, they just can't get to the Super Bowl. 
And until they're trying to figure it out, they're chasing their tails in a circle. And they have to understand that if Kirk Cousins isn't the guy, they're going to have to wait to see the next two years with his contract. And then where do you go from here? But I will give them credit for this. They signed them to a three-year deal, guaranteed contract to go for the next two years moving forward. So they're going for it. But I just don't think at this point, the Chicago Bears, to me, is the number one team in that division. And after that, you just got to get in the playoff and just try to win a game. My friend, I, as always, I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to the season. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, I tell you what, the NFL got it right. You start the 100th season with the oldest rivalry and the best rivalry in all the sports. It would be one of the most hyped games you would see, Jonathan. I'm looking forward to it. And If the Packers really understand how to set their season straight, if Matt LaFleur really wants to get a good day with the Packer fans, you beat Chicago in Chicago, then your career is off and running. Or lose the game and get fired. <laughs> hey, don't, do that. Don't, do that. don't do that. I'm supposed to be a guest on your show, man. I'm feeling Felix. I ain't coming on no more. You ended like that, man. Don't do that. <laughs> or lose the game and then the whole state of Wisconsin lose faith. <laughs> One of the others is going to happen. That's how we are. That's how we are. That's how we are. Right, good the, to talk to you, my brother. One of the other is going to happen. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much for coming on. Anytime, buddy. Take care. Cousins back to pass again. Looks right. Shakes the shoulders. Fires over the middle. Caught the Allen. 2015 into the end zone. Touchdown! It is skull time. Time to talk about the Minnesota Vikings with Chicago's own Pete Bursich. Part of the Vikings Radio Network, and he joins me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000. Pete, thanks so much for coming on the show. What went wrong with the Vikings last year? Kirk Cousins was supposed to be the guy. I had the Vikings going to the Super Bowl. What went wrong with Minnesota last year? You know, I, it's, I, I don't think necessarily expectations were, you know, were too high. I think for, you know, for a lot of us, um, Going into last year, you thought you thought a lot of big things because you looked at you looked at a team the year before that was thirteen and three, and um, you know you, you you think that you know with Kirk Cousins you got an upgrade from Case Keenum, and so naturally you put yourself. It's just like any prediction. Like, you know, the Bears will always be number one, and in this year everywhere they'll win the division again. We'll finish second. And Packers will finish third. I mean, it's just kind of how this is kind of how last year always plays into the following year. But there was, you know, something was missing when we lost to Buffalo, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you play the first noon game at home against a team that you should beat. All teams in the NFL are good. It's not as if they're that much worse than or better than anyone else. But it just was a sign and showed everyone you got to play your game all the time and you know expose some weaknesses. And early on in the season, offensively uh, we were rolling, and defensively. Uh, just not keeping us in games. I mean, uh, the Green Bay game, we came back and tied. We had no business being in. But for Cousins, I mean, the Rams game early uh, out in L.A., we you know, defensively were, were Civ-like. And they made some changes that brought us there, and then they made some to bring us back. And by the end of the year, the defense was playing much better. And it was the offense that kind of sputtered, uh, you know, at times. And so it's hard to say exactly what it is but i think lack of depth on the offensive line absolutely did not help um you know elf line coming back from surgery um you know he had an upper body and a lower body injury on the same side of his body when he came back he just you know, really wasn't himself um you know and then a couple other injuries to guys and next thing you know you're you're staring a average season down you know down the throat i i saw that um Kirk Cousins, he fell on the sword a little bit, Pete, and said that, you know, I'm a 500 quarterback, and I know that we got to get better offensively. I, I like that leadership, but, but of course you want to see it on the field. So the addition of Gary Kubiak, how much can he enhance the offense for, from his knowledge in the league? Well, I, you know, I, I think what, what that's going to provide us is, you know, the ability to run the ball when we have to. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at a couple key losses late in the season, one being at New England and then one being at Seattle, where defense played extremely well. And then offensively we just you just couldn't get anything going, couldn't get a rhythm, couldn't get anything started. Um, and you know, with Kubiak, 
helping out on offense. And if we can get that that style, that real good outside zone type of a running game going, where it's just efficient. You don't have to be the number one team in the league in rushing. It's just be you know be efficient enough because when you're on the road and weather's not good or things aren't just clicking, you you have to fall back onto something. And defenses will do that with a specific front and a specific coverage, one that they play the best, play very very well, very very comfortable. And um, until things settle down, and the offense didn't really have that, so hopefully, you know, Kubiak will will bring that. And for Cousins, I mean, it, it's funny how in this in in this day and age, you get guys who they're prima donna ish, and they just you know they they think the world rises and falls on them, and they say all these great things, and then Cousins comes out and says, "Yeah, I'm a 500 quarterback, and you know I need to get better." And, and people some, and then he gets criticized for that too. It's just it's he is. Um. Yeah, he's very well aware of where he sits now. Mm-hmm. Whether or not um, him realizing that is going to propel him to being an above average or above five hundred type quarterback, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, he, he definitely puts up the numbers. I think he definitely wants to. Uh, and if that is the case, then it's just the marriage of the two of the new offensive system and and his skill set. He's not a. If he has a weakness, it's sitting in the pocket. And by a weakness in the pocket, I just mean. The timing, when timing, when we disrupt the timing of an offense, which is what we do very well in defense, uh, he just he just doesn't react very well. If things aren't exactly where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be, I think he struggles a little bit. Uh, so hopefully, uh, a little different style of offense that may keep him moving, or at least move the pocket um, on the edges of the offense, um, will keep him a little more clean and a little more stable. I guess one of the things that some organizations won't do this, Pete, but I think that, you know, at least with the Viking standpoint, they really think that they have lightning in the bottle and rightfully so, because, you know, that defense is solid and you're adding uh, Bradbury, a first rounder on that offensive line, a couple of new pieces on the offensive line to help out. You, you know, you sign tight end Kyle Rudolph for a few more years, a veteran tight end. So, you know, bringing a few more playmakers via the draft. So at least the Vikings are not just not standing still. They're trying to make moves to try to help Cousins out. And that's that's a mark of a good organization. It is. I mean, you know, Garrett, you know, uh, you know Garrett Bradbury is exactly who you thought he was. I mean, he's a very, very solid guy. I mean, he's just not huge. That's the only thing. He's, you know, but he's a, he's a really – He's very, very talented. You know, he's a very, very talented kid, very athletic kid. Uh, you know, and then you take Elfline and move him to guard, which in college, watching film of him, he was a better, much better center than he was a guard, but you're going to have to put him at, you know, at one side. And, um, you know, uh, we should have some stability with Riley the Reef on, you know, on one side of the offensive line. So just need everyone there to stay healthy. I think the addition of Herb Smith Jr., um, is is going to help us quite a bit, and Herb Smith Jr. is going to vie for that number three wide receiver because now you can have a two tight end look and then flex out a guy like Herb Smith, kind of like the, like uh, the Giants did with Shockey, you know, a number of years ago, and you can run a three wide offense even though you have two tight ends in the game. So, um, having played with his dad at Notre Dame back in the early nineties, um, you know, I know he's a good athlete and what he's capable of, and you know, hopefully. We'll get a little one-two punch, or you know, solidify the offense with uh, with those two guys. Getting Anthony Barr back was great. Um, keeping that core and that defense around, um, you know, is, is big. So you don't have a ton of surprises. Shamar Stephens going to play three technique, so you really only have you know maybe one or two new faces even on the defense. Well, Pete, I'm looking forward to the season. Uh, many are looking at the Vikings, the Packers, and the Bears that have really good years. I, I, how do you see the NFC North? Because I, I just think it's going to be a dogfight with the Lions trying to get in there somehow. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, no, I, I, I think so. I mean, I think the Packers are kind of the wild card this year. They have the you know the best quarterback in in the league. I hate to say it because he's a Packer, but he's one of <laughs> you know, he's one of not the best. And when you have a quarterback like that, you're always going to be in the mix. But Obviously, they're going to be under new, you know, new coach and new everything. So, will they start slowly? You know, who knows? I mean, it, it, it yeah. There's going to be three, probably um, for sure, two playoff teams that come out of this division. Uh, I would, I would expect that to happen again. Um, and um, it's going to be some good football this fall. I think the NFC North is, is trending upward, and there's going to be some, some good, good teams coming out of this division. 
Pete, as always, I appreciate you stopping by here on ESPN 1000 and looking forward to the season. All right, Jonathan, me too, and uh, call me anytime. Jonathan Hood. Photoshoot fresh, looking like wealth. I'm about to call a paparazzi on myself. Uh. On ESPN 1000. Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship. Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, our first event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 15-minute time limit. There ain't nobody, there ain't nobody in wrestling who can make me quit. And that's the bottom line. Tuesday. We are what wrestling's all about. New York City here. Chicago here. Jamie on my left. Linda on my right. But I'm not telling any of the girls who I'm going to give it to in Chicago until that night. Tuesday, wrestling. Tuesday returns to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. This is Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. We'll meet Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So glad to have you with us. Follow me on Twitter at Wrestling TWT, also on the YouTube page, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Look for our episodes and special conversations on youtube.com, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. And don't forget Instagram as well, instagram.com, Wrestling TWT. Joined now by Dave LaGreca, my friend from Busted Open, 8 to 11 Central Time on Series XM Fight Nation. You can hear Busted Open, a great show, Monday through Friday. I, you know, I take Busted Open like a penny stock. I was there at the beginning when it was just a, a day, then a few days, and now it's five days a week for you, the wrestling fan, on Sirius XM and Dave LaGreca, friend of the program with us on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood here in Chicago. Hello, Dave. What's up, Jonathan? How are you, man? I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm back on. The last time I was on, it was just for the one question, <laughs> and uh, and then I was out. And then, so I'm glad to be able to sit down with you for a little longer. <laughs> I'm just glad you gave us the time. That's all. <laughs> you see, you see, people. It only takes 30 seconds for him to bust the balls. I mean, it only takes 30. It's just, I mean, right there, right there. Uh, you know, I, I was talking before you were on about Raw reunion, and and watching Raw reunion, Dave. It was just. You know, I saw the numbers, the ratings came out just as we are had this conversation. Of course the numbers are up. Of course everything was over three million because the characters were believable. The best segment to me is Stone Cold Steve Austin just vamping for ten minutes looking at you right in the right in the eye. Isn't this what we saw from the, the past, the great superstars versus now? Isn't that the reason why the numbers are up? Because those characters are believable? Yeah, I mean a hundred percent. You know, it's going to be uh, telling to see if they can hold these numbers the next week. You know, did they do enough for people who may have tuned out of wrestling to tune in? Are they going to stick and stay now by seeing these emerging superstars? And I think there was examples where they might, and I think there's examples where they probably will tune out just after last night. It's just it's um, it's just really a shame because it, here's a, a big difference. I was saying earlier, you know, you saw Stone Cold Steve Austin look right in the camera. Well, the WWE superstar has to look in the ceiling, got to look at their shoes, got to look to the side. How, how can we buy in as wrestling fans if you're not looking me right in the eye in the camera, telling me how you feel? It's getting a little better now, but there was a time where you just couldn't do it at all if you're a wrestler. Yeah, it's it's. It's the tell-all that we, we talk about on Busted Open all the time with promos, scripted promos. If somebody is speaking off of a written page and not speaking from the heart and speaking from true emotion, then how are you supposed to buy in? Stone Cold in that ring, I'm sure there was not one word that was scripted. He was even saying that before he came out, he was talking to Jonathan Coachman, and he said he was nervous. What am I going to do? And Coach was like, be you. So he went out there, and he was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he had you captivated, like you said. It was the, the best statement by far of anything we saw last night. And it was because we actually heard true passion and, and emotion. And you don't hear that from the current crop of superstars. And 
I think the telling thing for me was Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins was obviously given the ball last night because he was on two segments, and he completely fumbled that ball because I didn't believe one word that he was saying last night. It's a, it's a shame because you got an opportunity to do something and you're just used to relying on that script and kind of vamping. He just he couldn't do it, Dave, because this is what he's used to. I mean, it's it's really disappointing. Um, do you see a difference in WWE programming now that that Bruce Pritchard and Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman are are kind of more in charge? Is there a distinct difference that you've seen? I mean, I think there's a little difference, but I don't think it's anything that's drastic. Now, you know, Pritchard's been there for a little while now, but Bischoff hasn't even officially started. Tonight will be really like the first SmackDown that we're actually going to see maybe some of his fingerprints. And with Paul Heyman, he's been there for a couple weeks. And I see a little bit of a difference, but let's not forget, everything still has to pass through Vince McMahon. So at the end of the day, he's still the boss. He's still the one that's going to make the final decision. And again, like, is there a change? Yes, but I think it's slight. Um, This whole thing with Samoa Joe is a problem for me, Dave, because here's a guy here that we saw at TNA was just a monster. Some great matches with Kurt Angle, some great matches with Sting. He comes to the WWE, and we know what he can do. The whole world knows what he can do, and he just continues to get the short shrift. I know that everybody can't get over. I understand that. It's wrestling. But you can't tell me that that guy can't be a champion that should be in the title pitcher with, uh, with Kofi Kingston and with Brock Lesnar on a regular basis because I think he deserves better. What, what do you see from his career right now? Um, I, I'm with you. Like, like you just said, not everyone could be on top. We understand that. But at the same time, this guy's a champion. This is somebody that you can write a whole show around. I mean, he's everything that solidifies to me pro wrestling. Now, this is maybe a question that I might have to ask Bully on Busted Open because obviously Bully was a part of Impact Wrestling. The same thing happened at Impact. Like, he started off hot. He was in a feud with Kurt Angle. And then really for the rest of his career there, he was probably like in the same position that he is now in the WWE. I think the only place that he really got a chance to really shine was a brief time in Ring of Honor and then with NXT. But other than that, he's kind of been in this neutral position. And like, like you, and I know this is why you're bringing up, like, it almost feels like on Raw last night, that was the final straw. It's yeah. like, here's an opportunity to showcase this guy in front of an, a new audience or maybe an audience that's tuned out and they have him lose again. I, I don't get it because to me, Samoa Joe has all the tools on the microphone and in the ring. I, I you know, I, I saw the, the, the piece from Variety where it's entitled Vince McMahon is out of excuses for the WWE woes. You know what I think, Dave? I just think that when we think when we see Raw Reunion and see all those stars from Triple H to Stone Cold Steve Austin to so many others that are on that stage, you know, at the end of the at the end of the night, the rock not there, but the rock's part of that mix as well. I just think that Vince looks at his current crop of superstars and says, I'm just not going to let those guys be mega stars outside of what I do in the WWE. Like, will Seth Rollins ever reach where, you know, that where Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock is? I mean, he can win as many championships as possible. Same thing with Brock Lesnar. He just won't let those guys be able to be great. And same thing with Samoa, with, um, with uh, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is a, is a star. I, listen, I have, I've been have been up and down, looks like you, with Roman Reigns. But the point is, though, is that I just don't think he wants them to... He doesn't want another Cena. He doesn't want another Austin. And that's a shame because even if it's for five years, give us something that we can look at and say, that guy's a star, he's a must-watch. Who's a must-watch anymore in that company that you that you got to see what he's going to say? And that's, that's the thing that's really uh, disappointing. I think that he puts a governor on the company because he saw his other guys leave and, and be successful away from the company. Yeah, I, um, it, it's, it, you're, you are so right. I mean, Jonathan, I mean, it seems like you have a ceiling and you can't go through that ceiling. I, I remember when the New Jersey Devils were winning Stanley Cups in, in the 90s because obviously I'm a Jersey guy. Yeah. Like, you know, they were the best team in the NHL. They were the best team in hockey. They were a dynasty. All they did was win Stanley Cups. 
And outside of Martin Brodeur, you couldn't name one other player that was on that team because Lou Lamorello made sure that, hey, you know what? This is all about hockey. I don't want you doing anything outside. And none of those guys were mainstream names. And, you know, miles away from New York City, they could have been superstars. It's the same thing here in the WWE. It's always funny to me how they're not pro wrestlers, they're superstars, but there are no superstars on the roster. <laughs> they're just pro. Like, it's, it's amazing to me. Can't, talk, can't call them pro wrestlers, they're superstars, but none of those pro wrestlers on the roster are superstars because he won't let them be. You're right. Roman Reigns can be a superstar. Seth Rollins could be a superstar. Becky Lynch could be a superstar. Think about Becky Lynch after that punch to the face from Nia Jax, and she's bleeding from the face, and, and that iconic image of her on top of those stairs looking down. Like Right after that, when everybody was talking about it and there was buzz, it just seems like there was a decline in the creativity around her. Jonathan, I think you, you hit the nail right on the head. I think you have a ceiling in that company, and it's almost like he's saying, hey, I don't want another Rock. I don't want a Cena because they're just going to leave. I, I want to make sure that I'll give them success, but not too much success, that they understand where their bread is buttered, and that's the WWE. I think Bully has, has said something similar, has he not on the shows? I think that he's uh, – maybe he hasn't said it the way I just said it, but he said it like the last run for Team 3D, it was kind of like a ceiling for them too. Like they couldn't they couldn't do anything outside of that gimmick because I know that Bully, Bully Ray should have been Bully Ray in the WWE. I mean, maybe that wasn't PG enough for them, but that I think mm-hmm. that they want to do something different, and I don't think that Vince allowed them to do that because there's a, there was a ceiling on, on them, too, at the end. Was it not? Yeah, because he even said from the outside looking in, hey, you know, what's wrong with these guys? What's wrong with these ladies? Why aren't they knocking down that door of opportunity? Why aren't they seizing the moment? Why aren't they taking themselves to the next plateau? And then he realized when he was working back in the WWE that, you know what, they're not given the opportunities that they had back 15 years ago. So it, it, now could those things change? I, I think they have to. Like there's competition now, Jonathan. You see it like in your own backyard, you know, with, with all in and now all out, you know, being sold out. We, when we, you and I first started talking together, when you first started having me on your show, which was just a few years ago, mm-hmm. like there was no competition for the WWE. You know, you would see wrestling shows draw a couple thousand, and that's it. You're going to have a company in AEW that's going to be on TNT, and it seems like every time they have a major show, they sell it out. They're the new kids. They're the, they're, they're the shiny new toy in the toy box, and they have that demographic of 18 to 35-year-olds that seems to completely ignore the WWE. WWE has got to change some things, Jonathan, or they're going to find themselves lost in the dust. I busted open 8 to 11 Central, uh, Monday through Friday, every morning on Series XM Fight Nation. Dave LaGreca with me, Jonathan Hood, on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Uh, so get out to your, your, your marker here. I want you to give me a letter grade. So out of all the events that you've seen from AEW, all of them, What's your letter grade for their their shows? Because you could, you could put it all together. What would be the letter grade? And, and this is including Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fall, which weren't really major pay per views, but they were televised. I guess house shows. I I would give AEW right now a, a solid B hmm. across the board. I think that's I think that's fair because here's what I don't know: it, it, you can't. It's nothing to rip. It's just I'm very curious. I just want to know, Dave, when when it all starts, when the bell rings on Turner. And by the way, it is a huge undertaking starting off with a two-hour show. That's a two-hour show on Turner, right? Yes. Oh, it's going to be two a, hours live every week. That's a lot, man. That is, that's, that is a lot. I can understand an hour, but two hours out of the box, they're really going for it. Okay, great. I just need to know what that is for two hours. I mean, I know it's going to be a lot of storytelling because I think that their their production pa- packages are very good. I think they do that very, very well. That's on par with the WWE in that regard. I just want to know what the wrestling is. Is it similar to what we're going to see? Is it Nelson Royal against Denny Brown in the first match? What what, what, are, we, what, what, what are we? Because seriously, because if, if it's anything like some of the early, you know, the. Um, upper card matches that we see, you know, that's, I don't know how that's going to 
you know, how that's going to grab the audience because uh, you want to get out of the box strong and you want to show that you are a better wrestling company than the WWE, not just a better company, a better wrestling company. So I'm wondering what, what are your, your question marks about AEW when they start here? Well, my, my probably my biggest question is, do they have a large enough roster to be able to put out two hours of TV every week? Obviously, they're very, very top-heavy, and they have some amazing superstars with Cody and the Bucks and Chris Jericho and, and uh, John Moxley. But do they have enough of a mid-card and undercard to really put captivating TV each week, you know, on TNT? I don't know. That's that's a major question mark. Now, I, I agree with you. They have really good production. The storylines that they've created without TV, I think, have been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but how are they going to do that for two hours each week? And does that mean longer wrestling matches? Does it, does that you know mean longer talking segments? Or are they going to have a lot of pre-taped packages? I mean, I, I don't think we're going to know those answers until until it actually starts in October. But that's probably my biggest question. Do they have a deep enough roster? We know that WWE does because there's half the roster we don't even see on a weekly basis. I, I don't know if AEW right now has that roster. It's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be um, it's a head-scratcher because it, the two hours is a head-scratcher. And then where are you going? Got a studio built in Jacksonville. Going to be at Daly's Place every week. <laughs> Seriously, like I, because that's a listen. When TNA went and you and, and bullies talked about this as well. When TNA decided to take on WWE on Monday nights and they traveled across the country, you saw some of those houses dark and empty. They were in Salt Lake for a for a show when they were trying to go head to head with Raw, and it's like, man, this is not your territory. Now you, now you and I both know as territory guys, you know you got to start in a territory. If floor is your territory, you got to start there and just build. But they, you know they're going to Chicago, they're going this place, that place. It's just a, a lot really fast, and I just hope it, they're successful and have a real plan and a good plan because wrestling needs it, right? Yeah, and 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 it's almost the case too. Like I understand, like you want to give it time, you want to plan, but at the same time, you want to strike while the iron's hot and. Look at you can only almost feel like the tide's turning a little bit. Like, you know, a couple months ago, wrestling wasn't you know was as hot as it's been in decades. But look where we are right now. Raw and SmackDown have really low numbers. Their their attendance is is terrible at live events. Their merchandise sales are down. So now is the perfect time for them to strike because you never know when the tide's going to turn again. So it, it's, I, I think the timing's perfect. And, you know, the WWE is going to, I'm sure they got, you know, ace up their sleeve. They're going to have counter-programming. I just hope it's not too late for them because right now there's a really bad taste in a lot of people's mouths when it comes to the WWE, especially since WrestleMania 35. And by the way, at WrestleMania 35, they gave the fans exactly what they wanted. They want they wanted Kofi to be the champion. Kofi's the champion. They wanted Becky Lynch to win the two titles. Becky Lynch won the two titles. But things have changed since April. It's it's a drastic change since WrestleMania. They also wanted 12,000 people stranded, but that's another story. Oh, my um, gosh. That, that is uh, God, terrible what happened in New Jersey. That's the last thing. You, you can't give New Jersey nice things. That's the problem. So you we agree don't deserve with, it. So you agree with me. You're, you're, you're all for AEW going with, uh, with Royal uh, Nelson Royal at the top of the card with Denny Brown. That's, what, that's yes. how you want him to start, right? Yes. Milkman Milliman. Uh, Mill- yeah, they, uh, bring them all out. Frankie DeFalco. Bring them all. Bring them all out. Come on. I want to see them all. <laughs> you want a nice scrappy match to start off the show. <laughs> and speaking of scra- yeah, and, and where's Scrappy McGowan? The greatest referee of all time. Get him. Find where he is. Get him in the ring, too. Crying you'd, be, out. you'd be so happy with a, a pure wrestling match to start off off the AEW era. You'd love that. You, I mean, <laughs> hey, you, if you want to start jumpstart your company, I mean, always get Rufus R. You got to get Rufus R there, get him moving around, a little Rufus R. Jones action. I mean, this is what Dory Funk did for Mid-Atlantic. I think that's what you do. You just get yourself some 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 stars there from other companies and 
and go for it. That's how you do it. Yeah, I mean, fans love like a nice like 11, 12-minute headlock in the middle of the ring <laughs> just to get the juices flowing, you know? Or, you know, a nice little eight-minute arm bar. <laughs> That's what you want. That's how you start the company. Absolutely. I'll ask you this last thing. I'm, I'm interested in finding your thoughts about um, about CM Punk because we see he's going to be at Starcast. He's mm-hmm. he's tried to. He's been in hiding here in Chicago. You can't find him. I mean, sometimes he'll pop up at a Blackhawks game, but but he's been in hiding. He hasn't been around. So, have we missed as a you and I as wrestling fans? Have we really missed CM Punk? The, I think wrestling has been fine without him. He can only enhance what's going on now around the country. But have you missed CM Punk in the ring? Um, I, I can't say I've missed CM Punk in the ring. Would I like to see him back? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, it's almost like a love-hate relationship with CM Punk, and I think CM Punk has a love-hate relationship with pro wrestling. So if you're not 100% committed you probably don't want to make that commitment because does he love it anymore? I I don't know. It might be a case of Mark Henry says this all the time. CM Punk loved pro wrestling, but pro wrestling didn't love him back. Now, maybe that's just the WWE, but that's the company he worked for. And you know this, Jonathan. Radio can be like that, too. You love radio. It's your life. It's your career. But it doesn't always love you back. True. And sometimes enough is enough. And if he finds happiness outside of that, and then, you know, maybe it's time for the fans to just move on. Hey, this is your chance to meet him. This is your chance to say thank you. I loved your matches back in 2011. But, you know, he's 40 years old now. So, you know, after being out of the ring for over five years, is he ready to make that kind of physical commitment to get back into the ring again? Uh, busted open for the first time going international, right? You got to tell people about Toronto. Yes, we are going to be in Toronto August 11th from 3 to 5 Eastern Time at the Rec Center in Toronto, which is like five-minute walk from where SummerSlam is going to be. Myself and Mark Henry, some great special guests. And, you know, I hope anybody that's, you know, going out to Toronto for SummerSlam stops and says hello to Mark and I for our party. It's free. Our Busted Open parties are always free to the Busted Open Nation, so come by and hang out. It's going to be a two-hour show with great guests. And, and not only for your, for your listeners that may not have SiriusXM, you can now listen to Busted Open on Pandora and on Apple iTunes every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dave, thanks so much for coming on the show, and uh, let, let's do it again soon, please. Well, whenever you want to talk to lesson, I'm always here for you, Jonathan. We thank you for listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Our thanks to you for listening. Our thanks to Jesse Rogers from the Bay Area and Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Dave LaGreca from Busted Open joined us as well. Show produced by Felix Sean and ArtB.com on the other side of the glass. Write it down, Art. All right, we have no show tomorrow because we got Major League Baseball on Wednesday. But back with you Thursday, 7 to 10, full show, throwback Thursday and everything else, Thursday at 7 o'clock. Don't forget to download the podcast. Wherever you download your podcast, look for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. I'll talk to you Thursday at 7 right here on UTA. Jonathan Hood. I'm so hood. On ESPN 1000.